Hello world, this is the Know Your Place podcast. On this week's episode, we talk about water crises in Los Angeles and Cape Town, South Africa. Stay tuned. I'm Charles Altendorf here on the Know Your Place podcast, and this week I am covering a topic because it was a special request of a listener. Now, I don't know if I should let the lunatics run the asylum, but I guess I'll do it because I, uh, I, uh, you know, I love to stir up controversy and trouble. No, um, anyway. So this week, uh, Kyle Scott Patton, a friend from high school, asked me to give my sort of commentary on what I think was uh, what's going on with the water crisis in Cape Town, South Africa, and sort of compare it to the Los Angeles water situation, if you will. I want to preface this by saying a lot of what I understand and know about this situation I have gotten from actually listening to Cape Town, South Africa talk radio. I listen to this station called Cape Talk. And I listen to it primarily because their evening commute, if you will, happens right after our morning commute. So I get into the office at 8 a.m. and turn it on, and there it's like 3 or 4 o'clock over there in the afternoon. Now, I say this because I think it's very important with any kind of big issue to try and get sources on the ground. Now, people say, well, then don't you mean that you should listen to only American coverage of American news? No, 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 no. I mean, like, really close, upfront, and personal coverage. Because you just don't get the picture unless you hear it from, um, from people who are there. That all being said, conversely... Sometimes it's better to also have an outsider's perspective of the situation, right? Someone who's removed from the emotion and the years of history behind a situation so they can give you an unbiased perspective. And I'll probably make this a poll question in this week this week in the Facebook group because it's a I don't know which is really better. Obviously, I think you need the on-ground reporting to get a real image of what's happening, but you got to buyer beware. There's probably going to be some bias there. You know, there's there's probably going to be bias there. All right. So anyway, let's uh, let's sort of dive into this topic, right, of the Cape Town water crisis. Well, I don't know how many of my listeners know anything about Cape Town. I would assume some do. I would say the biggest legacy that everybody knows about South Africa is, of course, apartheid. Uh, apartheid can't be removed from discussing this situation. You know, a lot of people probably wish it could, but it just can't be. So this is kind of why I was also somewhat hesitant to talk about this. But, you know, let, let's not shy away from controversy just because it's a controversial topic. Let's, let's go ahead and allow ourselves to dive right into it. Okay, so I think what we don't understand as Americans, even though we've heard about apartheid and heard, you know, sort of that 
South Africa longer under apartheid. We don't understand uh, the true level of inequality that existed in South Africa under apartheid. I mean, especially for people like me and Kyle here living in sort of the Midwest or the, the near South, um, this level of inequality would not would not be permitted. Now, I don't want to say that that means there's no inequality in the United States or there's no inequality in the Midwest or the South. I mean, I'm not trying to imply that at all, but you have to understand just how it was perceived by the people that lived there in the time. Like, basically, these planners in South Africa saw... And when we say second-class citizens, you know, people say that a lot about things, and it, it's kind of lost its meaning. But they they didn't provide services for these people. They didn't ever plan to have to provide services for the the black population in South Africa. Um, they just they just didn't. They they were not important to them. They were not considered real citizens in many ways, and. I think this is just a very foreign concept for us as Americans. Not to say that there's not an underclass or any kind of other things going on in America, but it's just not the same level. There's there's no way to describe what it's like to grow up in a country where, you know, basically one group of people is like beyond first world and the other group of people is behind third world. It's it, uh, we just don't see it here. We don't see it that like that, you know. So we have to understand that when the developers who planned Cape Town planned Cape Town, the Cape Flats region, where a lot of the poor black people live, was not meant to be city. It was not meant to be first world city. And as they start providing water and services to these underserved areas, you know, I'm not sure that the government is handling it correctly or has any idea or way to sort of plan for bringing everybody back into the fold. Um, I watched this documentary um, that was kind of silly and goofy, but it was called McIntyre's Toughest Towns. And this was, was done from the perspective of a guy who talks about crime, so it's not the, the, the water crisis was not the focus of this documentary, mind you. But he uh, he did a few scenes in the Cape Flats when he was recording. And it's just crazy when you look at that and you compare it towards the central business district or any of the suburbs. I mean, those people are living in shacks. Those people do honor killings. There's burnings of police officers and criminals. You know, it is, it's a whole different level. So then it's it's no wonder that, like, there's no utilities or services built out to them and there's no plan there was no plan for utilities or services to be built out to them you know it's uh, but we don't see that here in america we i think we were i mean i don't know if we were totally blind to it i i don't i actually don't really know how many uh documentaries aired in america about it in the 80s i do know that some did in england and another documentary you should watch if you want to because I think a lot of us, uh, most of the people who are my age, grew up with South Africa no longer being under apartheid. So if you really want to get a good picture of it, you should watch uh, this documentary. Um, 
done by Nick Broomfield. He's one of my favorite documentary documentarians, and he used to work for Channel 4 in England. And he did this great one called the... Um, we did. He did three different ones in South Africa, actually, and all of them are good, and all of them show what it was like right before the end of apartheid in ninety, in the early nineties. And it's just like one of them he did. I forget what the name of the singer was, but it was about a famous South African singer, and he was black, of course. And it was about all the struggles he went through, sort of moving into becoming a rich person there because he was also friends with Mandela and you know he was becoming part of the community but you know it was he it was so unequal and he was black and it was just it was a crazy crazy thing so I would suggest watching some of Nick Broomfield's work on South Africa to get a real picture of what it was like back then because we're so far from removed now in America and especially people our age that we just don't Okay, so moving on from that, um, I was asked to sort of compare this with uh, Los Angeles, and it's very fitting that Kyle asked about Los Angeles, because in a lot of ways, Los Angeles has a similar kind of situation going on. Now, I'm not going to come in here and say that there is some sort of open racism in Los Angeles discriminating where people can live because I don't believe that there is but if anybody really wants to get a picture of what the inequality in Los Angeles looks like they should re-watch a bunch of the um, 1992 riot footage and I, I'm gonna post some links to all this stuff I've been talking about in the description but there's this really telling scene and it's sort of I don't know what point in the riots it was there's the timeline's somewhat incoherent to me, but there's this really crazy scene where, like, downtown Los Angeles is burning, and even parts of Hollywood are burning, and the people on the ca on the news are go out to get comment from the police chief in Bel Air, which is one of the ritziest suburbs in Los Angeles. I think everybody knows that from the show Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And the police chief is like, oh yeah, it's fine. We had a couple of mischievous people try to come in and mess things up, but it didn't affect us. We arrested them. And that, to me, shows the, <laughs> I mean, the inequality, right? These people are out there rioting over this verdict, and everything's burning down, but nope, not in Bel Air, because, you know, this is where the rich people live. That stuff won't go down there, but it's okay for stuff to be burned to the ground in Los Angeles, in the south part of Los Angeles, you know. <laughs> so, it's, um, and I just don't think that level of difference quite exists in, you know, regions of Kentucky and Indiana. It, it may, I'm not trying to imply that there's no level of inequality, but it's, it's just, it's hard to grasp what that's like unless you've lived it. And I could... I'm sure I can interview hundreds of people that would cooperate this sort of feeling or emotion, you know. Anyway, so, and, to, you know, another thing that has that shows what it's like in Los Angeles is I've seen a bunch of clips now uh, in Orange County, which is, you know, suburban Los Angeles, but it's so close that it's almost become urban Los Angeles. And in Orange County, 
they actually have problem with homeless people lining up at huge camps along the interstates in Orange County. Now, what's crazy about this is Orange County is one of the wealthiest counties in the country. So these people who are rich are literally driving by miles of homeless camps to go into gated communities while there's people just living outside homeless in camps on these freeway exits. Now, that is absurd to me. I don't know if that would be tolerated here or not. It probably, I guess it would be on some level, but I just can't fathom what that's like. After I saw this video footage of it, I mean, it was literally like miles of homeless camps with tents and everything along these ramps, and I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that is insane. Where are all these homeless people coming from? Why don't they have work? What's going on? So, um, yeah. So there's just, uh, there is a, a high level of inequality in Los Angeles. So if the question that's originally posed to me is, what do I think it would look like if L.A. started suffering a, a water crisis to the point that they might run out of water? Well, I think it would be much like 1992 and probably even worse. I mean, they would probably eventually make it into places like Bel Air and the hills on the north part of Los Angeles and start raiding things and, you know, screaming over water. And it's horrible. It's all horrible because a lot of these problems have built up over time, so it's gotten to the point there's no quick fix that can be done. They can't just run a pipe to one other place and call it good. You know, that's just not what they can do. Um, Los Angeles, you know, gets a lot of water from Lake Mead as well. Uh, as well as, you know, Cape Town gets its water from a big lake outside of the city, and both of them are drying out, you know, and it's um, it's a terrible situation. It's just a general terrible situation. So now that I've uh, covered sort of what I think the inequality is that exists, there's sort of one other major issue that's causing the problems in these two places. And that is both governments of these cities, while they're very large cities in their respective um, countries, are minority governments. So the leaders of the governments are not the party in charge. Now, in America, that doesn't matter quite as much because we our elections still seem to flip sometimes. You know, it's not like we're going to be Republican forever. I hate to break it to some of these people, but we probably won't be Republican forever. You know, we go back and forth between Democrat and Republican. But I would I would argue to a degree that even the type of Democrat that runs and wins office in Los Angeles is not the same as the Democrat that wins nationally. They um they value different things. They're sort of they're they're sort of a minority in their own party. So and why this is important to understand is that means that response from the national government to said crisis may be limited or may be impacted. Um, there's a very uh, telling part in uh, Spike Lee did a documentary on Hurricane Katrina, and some people have been critical of this documentary. I think it was pretty good, although there do there are some parts I think people could take umbrage with, but in one scene. Uh, a few of these people comment, they say, you know, um, 
there was a huge rift between the mayor of New Orleans, uh, Ray Nagin, and Dean Blanco, the uh, governor of Louisiana. And I think that's very important to understand because that meant that during Katrina, you know, yeah, he could order people out and the mayor could do whatever, but there's only so much he could do, right? And I don't want to say that necessarily the state of Louisiana turned its back on New Orleans. I mean, I think they probably did send some stuff and some help, but you wonder how responsive they felt like being. Because there's been a long time rift between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. A lot of people don't know that when Healy P. Long became governor in Louisiana, he made, he went on the warpath against the political power in New Orleans. So there's a lot of mistrust there, and it still exists today. And I think that's what amplified some of the problems during Hurricane Katrina. And I, I've, I say this is important to sort of compare this to the situations in America. Now imagine that being even worse in South Africa. Not not just like, um, you know, not just like this. these little minor within the Democratic Party squabbles or Democrat and Republican squabbles. Imagine a party like the ANC, the African National Congress, controls most of the government, most of the regions, and imagine this minor party that's still... Um, uh, the, and the ANC has like this goal, you know, of sort of taking back the power in South Africa for, you know, mainly for the black African people. But, you know, just in general, they, they have this vision of a, you know, a power going back to them, right? And then compare that with a party that's just like a centrist, milk toast, uh party that's got both whites and blacks in it and that's the minority party that rules Cape Town so <laughs> you know this party in Cape Town just values bringing business back and doesn't really care about the the racial question as much and the ANC is all about the racial question so as the situation deteriorates the ANC even though they're uh, most of the people are being uh, harmed the worst by the water crisis will be the poor black people in Cape Town. They still probably don't have much sympathy for Cape Town. They don't have much sympathy for what's going on. Because in in the minds of the people in Johannesburg, who are part of the ANC, they still see the segregated white beaches. They still see, you know, the rich white man and things like that. They don't they don't see it as this is the whole country. We have to help the whole country. And, you know, that's a very dangerous mindset. And that's why I often say that, you know, a country is only as strong as its weakest link. And it's, uh, I don't know what you do to resolve that sort of squabble. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe it would help if they would take these people sort of out of South Africa for a few days and let them talk it out or hammer it out again. They they perhaps need another peace deal like they had in 93, another one again. But once they do that, I mean, is there a mechanism for reintegrating two cities, for integrating water models, for, you know, saving a region, you know? Because <laughs> uh, South Africa's problem, much like L.A., even worse than L.A., is it's very dry. So there's it's just not intended to hold that many people. Should they force some people to leave? I don't know.
So I guess I'm going to close with this sort of um, sort of question that is, what sh how do you relieve, uh, well I should say, how do you relieve the tension in these sort of situations? I don't know. Um, is there a way you can reintegrate uh, an area where the inequality is so great, or is does that create sort of the the downfall of the society? You know, when I made my Great Lakes supremacist argument a few weeks ago, I said the reason why it's great is because anyone could set up shop there and make money, and people were able to live alongside each other, even with very polarizing views. And nobody's really pushed back on me that much with that thought. And I think that's how you create a successful society. Anyway, that's what I think about it. I uh, I feel bad for the residents of Cape Town, but unfortunately, if I lived there, I would probably just move. I don't I don't see how the situation gets resolved. I would love to say that you know at some point the ANC government in Johannesburg will take sympathy upon them and do something about it, but. As we've seen, the ANC has had many squabbles and troubles over the years, and you know they've just kicked out their president. And they want Los Angeles should be looking at this situation in Cape Town, and ask ourselves, how can we do more to make Los Angeles less unequal? And I think part of it starts with uh, bringing more kinds of industry to Los Angeles that's not equal as well. I think. Part of the inequality in Los Angeles is is the acting industry in general, right? There's going to be a few at the top who make a bunch of money, and then there's going to be a lot of people who work for slave wages underneath them to support the movie. So I think it's not – I think part of that is all that concentration of that type of an industry there has created this worse. If there were more industries that were less unequal there, I think it would be a better situation. I don't know if Los Angeles cares about that. We'll see. So uh, thanks for the question, Kyle, and that's what I think about it. Let me know what you think in the comments. And, yeah, if anyone from Cape Town or Los Angeles wants to comment and rebut me or rebuke me, go ahead. Feel free to take your shots. Thank you all. Check out the Know Your Place podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash knowyourplacepodcast, all one word, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash knowyourplacepodcast, all one word. And we will be coming soon to YouTube and iTunes, and maybe another social media platform near you. Special thanks to my wife, Sarah, and Jay Graff for the riff.